Well, hey, everyone, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, and I'm joined today by Pastor Ross Anderson and Pastor Chris Durant, and we're finishing up our Trinity series. And Ross, today, we're finally going to get really practical. I know we've gotten practical and some at the end of the previous podcast, but today we're going to be all practical. Yeah, I mean, the thing about the, the doctrine of the Trinity can be really heady. It can be even kind of abstract, and, and so maybe people are wondering, like, so what difference does it make? And we're going to explore that today. Okay, so before we jump into some of the practice, you know, we're going to be talking about how what the Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity, teaches us about everyday life. Some people might be surprised to hear that it does apply to our everyday lives, and so we're going to give just three examples of that. But let's back up for a second for those maybe who are new to this. What exactly is the doctrine of the Trinity? It kind of breaks down into three parts, right? Number one, there's one God. Number two, God is three persons. And number three, each person is fully God. This is what we've spent time in the last few episodes talking about. Chris, which is the most confusing one for average folks out there, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me personally, to try to wrap your mind around there being one, but but then there actually being three that are all working together. And so, I mean, I think it's a little a little bit of all, all of it is confusing to many people. Right. But understanding, I mean, I think this kind of goes back all the way to the very beginning, uh, even in week one where we talked about just the, the vast difference between God and us. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that it's okay to be confused, it's okay to kind of have questions, but to remember that, that God is... He's so much bigger than us. He's right. so much more profound than us. And so in our confusion, we can just trust that God, you know, God is who he is and who he says he is in his yeah. word. Yeah, and it allows us to worship him as well. And, you know, one of the reasons I think in particular in our ministry context, Mormons a lot of times have a hard time with the Trinity. And mm-hmm. part of that is because they have such a... Mormons have... Not every Mormon, I guess, but many Mormons have such a different view of of the of the gap between us and God. Mm-hmm. As Christians, Orthodox Christians, we recognize there's a massive gap. It's not even, you can't even really say, the, the word gap isn't even, doesn't even give it justice, right? There's this incredible gap between us and God because we are, ne- we will not be God. Mm-hmm. God was never us and, uh, and we will never be a God. And But in Mormonism, there's this idea, this eternal progression idea that Again, Ross, I don't know. Maybe I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but some some uh, some Mormons would say, I don't know if I even believe that altogether. Mm-hmm. So I, I've noticed a lot of Mormons on the street have a different view uh, than than what the doctrine maybe officially has stated. But nevertheless, whether they how much they agree on the idea of eternal progression or not, they still believe that God is a human type character. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's still that that gap issue is still relevant. And so again, we would just encourage everybody as you're thinking about this as you're trying to wrap your mind around the nature of God or really anything, uh, any doctrinal statement, is go to God's Word, look to God's Word, and allow God's Word t- to teach you on mm-hmm. these uh, on these areas. Yeah, and I think, I mean, that's important in everything that we do, but mm-hmm. specifically to understand the nature of God, the best place to do that is God's Word, Him speaking to us, Him explaining Himself to us in a practical way. And so um, you don't just go into God's Word and, and come across this idea of the Trinity, right? The, the word Trinity isn't in the Bible, mm-hmm. but it's like we've said in, in previous weeks, it's all throughout the pages of Scripture, and God reveals Himself to us. So it is important that we 
find out about him, and we do that practically by looking to his word. Okay, so let's be practical today then. So the Trinity, we're going to look today at three ways the Trinity teaches, the Trinity impacts our everyday life. And the first thing is that the Trinity teaches us to live in humility. And there's two there's two angles we're going to take on this. We're going to talk about the, the humility that we have in relationship with God, mm-hmm. but we're also going to talk about the humility that we have in relationship with one another as Christians. So let's start with that first thing. How does the how how does the humil- how does the doctrine of the Trinity teach us to be humble, Ross? Well, it kind of goes back to what Chris alluded to in the very first week that this God who's so transcendent. We we're talking about the gap between us. And when we recognize that this God, this God is more than we can comprehend with our finite minds, well, that's humbling. You know, that's like, like going like, okay, I am a complete, um, I'm a creature, not a creator. You know, I'm finite, I'm not infinite. And when I recognize, uh, you know, there's a bigger gap between God and me than there is between me and like an amoeba. You know, and I recognize that. That's kind of go, okay. Well, I kind of know my place in the universe, and that's a good. I think it's a good thing to know your place in the universe before this amazing, uh, really uh, profound, majestic God. Yeah, and I would just maybe add to that a little bit and say the response then from me is to worship mm-hmm. God, mm-hmm. to worship a God who is so much greater than me, a God who has no bounds, a God who knows everything, who is a part of everything. I don't aspire to be that one day because I know that I cannot be that one day. Right. But instead, I worship, I worship God. And you know, I think there's a, a really cool verse uh, in Psalm chapter 99, verse 1 through 5. It says that the Lord is king. You know, let the nations tremble. He sits on his throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above all of the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. And this is just an amazing picture of our response to worshiping God, who is unlike any other. Right, and this again is what we've looked at this in previous episodes, where the picture that we have of heaven is God, you know, God the Father, God the Son, the Lamb, at around the throne, and and all of the strange creatures in the picture in Revelation, all the angels, uh, all the all the animals and human beings as well, just worshiping God. And this is the picture, the consistent picture that we have in the Bible that God is is the only one worthy of our worship. And uh, and so the understanding the Trinity helps us to just have this, you know, this sense of humility that man, I can't even I can't even really fully wrap my mind around mm-hmm. God. Some people are uncomfortable with that. And I think what's a better response is to be comfortable with the humility that that creates in us. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, for sure. All right, but it doesn't just teach us. We could probably spend the next forty minutes talking about about the humility that we have toward God. But let's move on to the second part of the humility that we see when we consider the Trinity. Is it? It also teaches us how to be humble toward each other and. This one maybe take this one maybe isn't as obvious to some people, Ross. So what? Do, how do we? How are we connecting the dots on this point? Yeah, we have to unpack this just a little bit. But first of all, as you look at, we talked about the roles of the different members of the Trinity a couple of weeks ago, and as you look at those a little more carefully, one of the things that you see is that each of the members of the Trinity expresses that their purpose is to glorify the other ones. Mm-hmm. So the word glorify, you know, we don't use that in everyday street English, but it means 
you know, to make them greater or to be seen as greater, to enhance their reputation and to not, a, we'd say maybe in, in slang, we'd say prop them up, mm-hmm. you know, so, so, um, you know, the spirit doesn't exist to glorify himself, but he exists to, you know, prop up the son and the father uh, wants to glorify the son and the son wants to glorify the father. And so in, in other words, they're not, it's not a selfish thing. It's an, it's a, it's a each other first kind of attitude that is modeled for us. Yeah, let's look, let's look at this in Scripture. John 16, verses 13 and 14, it says, when, this is Jesus speaking, when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. So again, what we're seeing in John 16, verses 13 and 14, is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, isn't glorifying Himself, but the Holy Spirit is glorifying the Son. And then we also see in John 13 that the Son doesn't glorify himself, but glorifies the Father. John 13, 31, as soon as Judas had left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the Son of Man to enter enter into his glory, and God will be glorified because of him. Of course, he's talking about God the Father. Mm -hmm. God the Father will be glorified because of the Son. So we see, we saw that the Spirit glorifies the Son, and then the Son glorifies the Father. And then here's one more. God is going to be, be getting glory because of Jesus in John 13, 32. And since God receives glory because of the Son, he will give his own glory to the Son, and he will do so at once. So we see what you're saying here, Ross, that there's this glorifying each other that the three persons of the Trinity must love to do. Mm-hmm. And I think it's this cohesion, right? This mm-hmm. cohesion of love and elevating one another, but still on one purpose, mm-hmm. one mission, right? right? One right. Which is com- how the how the Trinity works and how they're all working together, and I think that's again so profound. Yeah, and by contrast to human nature, you know, most of us, even if we're not very aware of it, we're trying to glorify ourselves in some way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? But but I think, and then one way practically to do this in our relationships with other people, you know, maybe it's with your spouse or with a mentor or in your small group or with other God honoring friends, it's learning how to love and serve one another. Right? It's, it's putting other people before yourself, which, like you said, mm-hmm. Ross, isn't easy to do. But the right. more we find out who God is and his nature, it, it permeates us, and then that kind of overflows mm-hmm. into our relationships. Yeah, and that's a great observation, Chris, a great application, because in, this, in chapter 13, where we read about the Son and the Father glorifying each other, the way that chapter begins is Jesus takes a towel and washes the mm-hmm. disciples' feet. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, I'm about to go into my glory, therefore... I'm going to do something super humble. You know, it's not what we would expect. Mm. And so that's the that servanthood is the context in which this whole conversation about mutually glorifying takes place. This is a great transition into the second thing. So the first thing is that the, the Trinity teaches us to live in humility, and then related to that, the Trinity teaches us to live in community, right? And we've we've said previously in this in this series that God is in community. And I remember when I first started learning about the Trinity years and years ago, this was a weird thought to me that God exists in community, but that's part of what the three persons of the Trinity really is all about. Yeah, in the ancient world, uh, the ancient theologians likened it to a dance. Like if you think about an intricate dance, the, the members who are dancing together are in perfect lockstep with each other. They might not be doing exactly the same thing. One may be leading for a time and the other following, or, or, or that role might change, but, but there's this interconnectedness, interaction between them that 
ultimately, you know, one theologian said the Trinity is the first community and is the ideal community. Yeah, so let's get real practical. Again, for people listening to this, and if you're doing this in your small group, by the way, these resources are all available at pursuegod.org forward slash Trinity. We're in week number five. And so if you're, if you're taking a look at uh, how this might play out in community, let's, let's get that conversation started. Let's give four examples of how we can live in community, and we're really taught this by the Trinity. Number one, we can love... The Trinity teaches us to love unreservedly. First John 4, verse 7 and 8 says, Dear friends, let us lo- continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And we've said it before that this Trinity thing is really, is really speaks to this idea that God is love. Yeah, I mean, one. Of, I mean, obviously, reading right there in Scripture, it shows us that one of the, the attributes of God is love, right? And so, what should overflow from us first, I think, in any relationship, should be love first. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish I could say that's and that's a lot easier said than done, right? Because mm-hmm. I think human nature causes us to not go that way. But but again, the more we the more we are in relationship with God and, and know more about his character and his nature and even aspects of the Trinity, we see that love is a key picture of that. And so how do we then have that be a part of our lives? Well, we practically show love to those around us, relationships, you know, marriage, mm-hmm. children, <laughs> work relationships, even the world around us, I think we should demonstrate God's love. And yet I think it's interesting in today's, if you were to ask a t- the typical non-believer, and you would say, give me five words that describe Christians as you see them, or maybe as you know them. I don't know, guys, do you think love would make the list right now in our culture? <laughs> no, I'm not sure it would. I'm not sure. There's a lot of reasons for that. Maybe it's because we haven't given non-Christians exposure to the life that we live with each other. Mm-hmm. And we, if we're all in, living in a cocoon and don't ever have interaction as Christians with people in our neighborhood and so forth. They never have an opportunity to see the love that we have for each other. Mm-hmm. They might not feel it toward themselves either, but, you know. Yeah, and I would say if peeking into my home, if <laughs> if someone saw you, they probably wouldn't see that love is always the first thing that happens. But yeah. I think, again, it's human nature, mm-hmm. and we can long to to look to God in that, to grow in that. You know, I think... <laughs> You know, if, if you don't feel very loving, it's okay. I mean, that's something that God continues to work through us. But but when we begin to realize the nature of God, how He loved us, the things that He, that God Himself did, that Jesus Christ did, mm-hmm. you know, that the Holy Spirit does in us, that's a true picture of love. Mm-hmm. And so we can look to all of those resources to then give that. You know, when we fail, we can grow in that area of loving, I think. But does loving, you know, I could see a Christian out there listening to this saying, well, wait a second, I, do, I, I am loving, but that doesn't mean I don't, that doesn't mean I just agree with everything that the secular, the direction of the secular world, sort mm-hmm. of where the secular world is going. So I could hear a Christian listening to this saying, that's unfair to say I'm not loving. Of yeah. course I'm loving. God's loving, but he still judges, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I don't think it's like, hey, I love you, man. You know, like it's mm-hmm. not this emotional thing, but sometimes love displays itself in truth, it, it displays itself in communication, in care, in discipline, right? There are a lot of things that we do that shows genuine love. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the opposite of love is hate and, and being combative or any of those those kinds of things. And right. so I think it's important to understand that you can love someone but be stern, 
You can love someone and speak the truth, right? Yeah, parent parenting is a good example of that. My my kids probably when they were f- three to five years old would not maybe have picked love as one of the top words mm-hmm. every day, um, but mm-hmm. but we loved our kids and we loved them enough to discipline them. And I do think in the when it comes to the world, I my heart is that Christians would get better at this, would get better at really being representing the love of Christ to the world, but without sort of giving up the truth part of it. Right, and it's a matter of, look, I can serve people who don't agree with me on things. Mm-hmm. I can still be kind. I can help my neighbor build a fence, even if he's radically on the opposite end of a political spectrum than I am. Right. Yeah, we, we actually have had this conversation with our kids recently because, you know, there's that verse that comes to your head that, you know, you can be in the world but not of it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Like we go into the world all the time, and we can be much different by showing signs of love. And that doesn't mean we have to stand up on the table with our cross and mm-hmm. make a scene. But, but instead, we could just lovingly care about someone. We can serve someone. That's a very, that's an easy sign of love. You can stand up for the truth when everyone else is going one way. You can be honest and truthful. That's a sign of love, right? Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm doing something different because of who God is in me is the truth, and I, yeah. and I think that's important for. Our, young people to understand. I have, well. a, I have a confession to make. I baited you guys into this line of, of discussion because next week we're starting a new series on the book of First Peter. And we're actually going to be talking about this. So I encourage you listeners to tune in next week as we as we start this series. Because First Peter is about this very thing. You know, he's writing to a church where there's a lot of hostility. He t- he talks about the fact that they're foreigners and aliens and that Christians are foreigners and aliens in the world. And we're, we're studying up on this, and we're getting ready to present on First Peter as well, so make sure to check in next week as we start that new series. But let's move on to the second, the second thing that Christians can do in community, and that is to forgive freely. And we see this in Colossians chapter 3. It says there in verse 12 and 13, "...since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy." kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then he says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And so the Christian community should be, should model this. Right? This is one of the values we should model is forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Now, let's just be clear. Did God the Father ever have to forgive God the Son or God the Holy Spirit? Yeah, exactly. No, because, and this is a great, that's a great point to help us understand that we're the unity that Christians have is not the same kind of unity as the Trinity. It's not an ontological unity of being, but it's a, it still is a model for us. Mm-hmm. The character of God that's demonstrated between the members of the Trinity is still a model for us. Mm-hmm. And so he says, look, the way that God forgave you, you forgive others. So really, ideally, Christians should be the best forgivers, because mm-hmm. those who've been forgiven much uh, should also turn around and forgive much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know... Side note, if you haven't noticed this when it comes to Scripture, it always addresses the things that are most difficult for us, right? <laughs> so I think yeah. it's important to remember that this is a process. This is things that we have to work through. Many times we're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit, right, God's, mm-hmm. God's very presence in us, we have the ability to do these things even when we don't want to. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important to understand that a lot of these things don't happen overnight. It's things that we have to grow in, to trust God mm-hmm. in, to, to kind of, you know, have it have it come out in us on a regular basis. We yeah, need, we need God. And initially, along those lines, it is these are things that we have to first say, at least say yes to. Mm-hmm. 
and then we begin to grow in them. I, it, to, to live the Christian life, I can't say, no, I refuse to forgive. Yeah. It may be hard to forgive, and I, God needs to grow me, but I can't say, no, mm-hmm. I refuse to forgive. Yeah, it's good. Okay, and then as we continue to read in Colossians, we see a third um, outworking of Christian community, and that is to live peaceably. Colossians 3, verses 14 and 15 say, says, Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body you are called to live in peace, and always be thankful. And i got to say, we got to camp out on this for a second, because it dri- it's driving me crazy to see all the division in the mm-hmm. church right mm-hmm. now yeah. uh, over the last couple of years, politically with COVID, with Trump with Biden with all this kind of stuff and we're not going to sit here and be political and try to take a stand on anything but I will take a stand on this God's word says that we should promote harmony mm-hmm. certainly in the church we should promote harmony and so that means a republican should be able to get along with a democrat within the church is that even po- is that going to happen <laughs> is that even possible anymore um, yeah, it is possible. I mean, it, we forget what really our, our basis of our unity is, and it's a whole other conversation we get into. But I just have, I had to confess, there's a guy that I was uh, looking at maybe entering a mentoring relationship with him, and he's, he's a flaming um, a proponent on one side of certain issues, and mm. I'm on the other side, and I go, man, do I really want to mentor this guy? <laughs> and uh, just, just pray for him. I, I just, well, I just, I was convicted, you know. I said, I, I really need, I should not, in light of this, you know, mm-hmm. if I'm going to live in perfect harmony and model that, then I should, I'm the, I'm the grown up in the room, so to speak. Mm. Yeah. I should be the one who could say, you know, I'm happy to mentor this guy because our unity and what we're what that relationship is about is far more than the things that divide us. Yeah, we we actually talked a little bit about this in as we were talking about First Peter too. It's this idea where you can respect someone but not necessarily agree with them and everything, right? right. And I think what's interesting about this verse is it just reaffirms the nature of God and how important it is for us to. Imp- apply that to our lives, right? Above all, clothe yourselves with love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like if we have the love part right, if we understand and recognize the love that God gives us, then naturally we should in tune give that to others. Now, mm-hmm. it's again, it's not easy, but that should be our first response. Mm-hmm. And then the overflow of love and of care about other people is peace, unity, harmony, mm-hmm. right? So when we go and do you know, whatever hill we want to die on, <laughs> we can say that I care more about this person than I do about my opinion. Now, I don't think that's easy for everyone. Right. Yeah. Matter of fact, I think we've probably all failed in that in some way, shape, or form. But that's that's a part of being someone who is a Christ follower or, or someone who honors God with their lives is to say, I want to be more like Christ. As the Holy Spirit changes me and challenges me, I want to be more mm-hmm. like Him. If I'm more like Him, I'm going to live in love. Mm-hmm. Love first. So when you guys figure out how to do that, will you let me know? <laughs> okay, well, hey, right, hold on. I got another pet peeve. <laughs> Because it's not just our culture that gets like this, and, and I think that's something really worth talking about with your family, with your small group, with if you're mentoring someone, really to talk about how to do this, how to, how to promote peace instead of just... Because, uh, you know, we live in this culture that, that you know, algorithms, YouTube algorithms, and, and, and even, you know, the cable networks, it's peace doesn't sell. It's conflict that sells, but yet God says, promote peace. Mm -hmm. I want you to live in peace, right? So another outworking of this is when there's conflict in your church, how many times have we seen this where the person just silently leaves the church? Mm -hmm. They disagree with something, 
this is their church. Maybe this was their church for 5, 10, 20 mm-hmm. years. And I don't know, Ross, you've been around a little bit longer than, than I have, but is this just how it's always been, or is it getting worse that people have such, Christians have such thin skin that it, instead of be, being part of the community, this is my family, I'm going to work it out. Mm-hmm. I'm going to live in peace. No, it's always been that way, as far as I can tell. Um, and it, it is because my preferences or my angst or you know, my discomfort is more important than actually living in harmony. And it might have to, I might have to look in the mirror, or I might just have to have an uncomfortable conversation that I want to have. Right. And so, you know, but that's what is involved in love, and that's what's involved in living in harmony, some uncomfortable conversations sometimes. And yeah. I, I think that the mature person would look at the situation and look at the person maybe you're having conflict with or the disagreement with, and they would say, man, I want to love that person. Like when I think of all of the things that I have done in my relationship with Jesus Christ and how he continually proactively forgives me, how is it that I could possibly not have that kind of feeling or desire or hope in a relationship with anybody, a spouse, kids, even people in the church, even fellow, you know, followers of Christ, even people in the world. Like if we begin to see that God, his love for us, mm-hmm. it should change how we respond and how we react and what we communicate, right? Um, so I think it's important that we remember, man, WWJD, right? There's that saying or that mm-hmm. old bracelet, what mm-hmm. would Jesus do? Mm-hmm. Well, I know what he would do. He would forgive and love. Yeah, That's what he did, you know? That's what we should do too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it is hard, and I, I, you know, to the I'll be a little bit gracious to the person out there who feels like they want to check out another church. I guess I would just, as a pastor, I would say, just be willing to go. If, if this is if this has been your home church for a period of years, like be willing to go. I, I appreciate the people who have come to me mm-hmm. and have said, "Here's I've got this issue," and they've they've addressed it with me instead of just bailing. I, mm-hmm. It's just there's so many people that just bail, and it it's not just that it's. It's not just the church that suffers for it. It's mm-hmm. that family. It's the person who bailed. Mm-hmm. It's the it's their kids. I've seen so many times. I feel so so badly for these families where mom and dad are so flaky they can't really stay committed to a church, and so their mm-hmm. kids then don't ever learn community. They don't ever learn how to live peace, peaceably, mm-hmm. right? And and they don't get the benefit of of growing up in a church community where people know your name and and you and people know. Your, your issues, not everybody, but enough people know your issues that they can call you out on it. Mm-hmm. And th- a lot of the times that's why people are leaving is because they want to be anonymous at the next place and they don't want people calling them out on their junk. Well, and I, w- I would also say if you're looking for a perfect <laughs> place or a perfect church or perfect home, you'll never find it yeah. because the side of heaven, we are fall far short of perfection, right? And so you're going to find it anywhere. So why not? My, my thought is, is why not be the change. Mm-hmm. You know, why not be the one who, if you have conflict in whatever, even in relationship, if you have conflict, why not be the one to make the change? I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it's a challenge. I know it's a challenge for me. Maybe it's a challenge for someone listening today. Yeah, it's good. All right, one more thing, serving connectedly. Okay, so another way that we can live in community is to serve connectedly. And I, I like this point, Ross, because 
the the Trinity models how community involves different roles within a unity. We've talked about that throughout this series. And one analogy for that, it's again, it's not perfect, but one analogy is how the church works, mm. that the, the church is one body with many parts. So we see unity and diversity together in the church, uh, kind of like, again, not perfectly like, but kind of like we see unity and diversity in, in the nature of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we see that in 1 Corinthians 12. It says the human body has many parts but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles. Some are slaves, some are free. Some are Democrats, some are Republicans. Oh, well, that's a footnote. I just added that part. Some are slaves, some are free. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, but just one, but not just one part. Mm. So it's, it's similar. It's unity mm-hmm. with diversity which is what we're learning from the Trinity, we also learn it in the body of Christ. A lesser kind of unity, different kind, like we said, so not a perfect analogy like you said, Brian, but it still points us in a direction. But in the way that that the Father, Son, Holy Spirit have distinct roles in how they relate to us, in in a similar way, we when we're in a in in the, the part of a healthy body of Christ, we we all play different roles, right? Mm-hmm. For the benefit of the whole body of Christ. Well, and I think the important thing is to understand that every role matters, right? Like, Mm. every role matters when it comes to, like, you think of the human body, every, every part of it matters, and it all has a special function. It all has, you know, something to be used and to help the other parts of the body. And I think that's important for people that maybe don't feel like their role matters, it does. You know, it really, really, truly does. And God created you for that purpose and for that role, to unify the greater whole, the greater body. So let's be pastoral here for a second and talk to the person who's listening to this who feels a little bit of a sense of conviction that they're not really connected to their local church. Mm-hmm. What, what would the takeaway be for this? Yeah, I mean, I think, I know for our church, for Alpine Church, I think that there are a lot of ways for people to get connected. You know, mm-hmm. one thing that we value is mentoring, you mm-hmm. know, discipleship making, people who make disciples, small groups, and a place for community, mm-hmm. um, serving opportunities. There's, I guarantee you, there's wherever you're listening from, whatever church you're going to, there is a serving opportunity. In fact, there are probably more than you can even begin to imagine. So I would just encourage anybody to speak to maybe the church leadership or whoever to get involved, yeah. because I guarantee you there is a place. Yeah. Yeah, and a serving opportunity is a great way to meet other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so is a small group. Many many churches have those, right? And I would say even maybe a, a super shy or, or uh, retiring person might be challenged by this, but most people, at least you can do something individually, meet somebody in the lobby, invite them to lunch, mm-hmm. take a next step, be the initiator mm-hmm. of a ne- well, some well, next step. And maybe it's not immediately serving. Maybe it's getting involved in something, a small group. Mm-hmm. where you can go and just grow in your relationship with God and others. I mean, you may not be giving there, right? but it's a, a, a start for you. Mm-hmm. And then that start can then, you know, as you become you know, more confident in, in relationship, that might spur you on to serve in some way, mm-hmm. shape, or form. You know? mm-hmm. So start somewhere. Yeah, and I would say to parents, do it with your with your kids. I know at our church we have clean teams. But with our when our kids were younger, we the four of us served together on a clean team, and it was great. We we mopped floors together and vacuumed. It was a it was a memorable thing for for us as a family to do, a meaningful thing for us to do. But it also modeled something for our kids. We wanted them to be involved 
in the local church. And now my daughter lives on her own in another city, and she's involved in another church. And she, without us telling her, she's serving now. She it's part of her, it's part of how she views community. She recognizes she doesn't just go to church for an hour and then go home. She she's found a home church and she's serving. She's doing her part. So I'd encourage families to do that together with your kids, parents. It's a great gift you can give your kids to model for them this this community, what it looks like. And one more thing I'll say now that I'm an empty nester, and Ross, you can relate to this. Chris, you've got years to go before you do this. <laughs> Continued prayers. Yeah. Empty, <laughs> empty nesters. Empty nesters have so much time. Uh, so I'm speaking to you, empty nesters. You should be the ones who are the backbone. I believe this now. I wish I knew this earlier. I would have, I would have marketed empty nesters more. But you should be serving. Don't just don't waste your empty nest time. Don't waste your retirement. If those of you who are retired, get involved in your local community. Man, it's it's one of the it's one of the as we're learning in this lesson, it's one of the godliest thing mm-hmm. things you can do. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Amen. So we've talked about living in humility. We've talked about living in community. And one more thing that the Trinity teaches us, at least for today's lesson, is to live on mission. And this is this is a really good insight, Ross. I love you brought this insight to us that the, the Trinitarian in the Trinitarian roles, we see a few things. The Father sends the Son, right? First John 4, 14. We have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior. Okay, so the Father, number one, the Father sends the Son. And then we see in John 15, 26, that the Father and the Son send the Spirit. Jesus said, I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, and he will come to you from the Father. So he's coming from the Father, but Jesus is sending him, and he will testify all about me. So the Father and the Son send the Spirit, which, again, seems a little abstract, but but no, we notice what happens then is if we're following the pattern in Scripture, is then the Son sends the church. Mm-hmm. And he sends the church with mm-hmm. the help of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Right. And so really the, the mission of the church, the Great Commission, really is, is like the next step in that whole God mm-hmm. sending, Father sends the Son and the Spirit. So in John 20, I love this, this is really powerful for me in my whole life. John 20, 21, Jesus has risen from the dead. He's meeting his disciples post-resurrection. He says, peace to you, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So there's he making, he's making the handoff. God gives him the mission. Now Jesus isn't giving the salvation mission to the church, but the next step in the salvation mission is for the church to tell the world about what Jesus yeah. has done. Yeah, this, this to me, and it just kind of solidifies the series in its, in its entirety, because if we start off this idea of God being... God. We cannot wrap our mind around who he is and 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 what he does and he's just so he's transcendent, right? That same God isn't distant. That same God is wants to reside in us mm-hmm. through the power and the presence of his holy spirit. And so when you begin to think about God empowering not just the church but really us individually mm-hmm. to go and to give other people his love, there is nothing more humbling than that. There is nothing, you know, more worshipful than that. Mm-hmm. To be able to to return back to God, this transcendent God, who loves me enough to want to reside in me, to, to then empower me to tell more people about Him. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's super humbling, you know. Yeah. Well, it, and it's all rooted. I've never really thought about it like this, Ross. But it it is. It's all rooted 
in the in the nature of God. It's rooted in the Trinity. This relationship that Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the relationship that 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 they have with each other is missional. Mm-hmm. And there's one of our topics in our library is the tension. Be- I think it's called the tension between relationship and mission. And there is a tent. We've noticed as we've tried to empower more disciple makers in our church community. There's this tension because it feels, well, wait, do you are am I a am I a am I just a mission field for you or am I a friend for you? And I think the answer is, well, yes, it's both. Mm-hmm. And and this is the the nature of God. God God is love, but as as an outworking of that love is mission. Mm-hmm. Mission is part of that. We can't just have love without apparently we can't have love without mission. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Father loves the Son, and yet the Father sends the Son. Mm-hmm. Because the son has a job to do, and the son loves us, but the son sends us into the world because we have a job to do. Which to me, you know, my love language is is acts of service, mm-hmm. and that that's how I relate. I feel I feel like this is that's I think God's lo- this is for another series, but I think God's love language is all five of those. I think He perfectly embodies all five. Not that there's just five; it's not necessarily a biblical mm-hmm. thing, but. But God is love, which means that he perfectly embodies all five of those. And some people don't have acts of service as a love language, but I do. And so for me, I really relate to this point that that part of my love for God mm-hmm. is to be obedient to him because he sent me on mission. Mm-hmm. Could you imagine the father sending the son and the son saying, no, thanks, not interested, <laughs> not my thing, not yeah, my gig, no. you know? Yeah. Well, I, I think that's just a sign of our return to worshiping God, like mm. saying yes, like mm. I will do this because of what you've done for me. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of reverence and worship and commitment and obedience. And, and if we're not doing that, then what's really what's the point? And yeah. and I, I think for most people, and I, this kind of gets into the next verse, but a lot of us are afraid to do that. Right. There's a, a very real fear to standing up or to telling people about the love of God. There's a fear. There's a fear in our workplaces. There's a fear even at home. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe fathers who have never done this with their kids, it's scary to start, right? Right to, to start praying with your wife or mentoring your kids or leading your kids. But we have the power of God living inside of us. That's Acts 1-8, right? But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, mm-hmm. you know, telling people about me everywhere. And everywhere is you know in Jerusalem throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth and mm-hmm. the ends of the earth for us are in our families or in our workplaces are in the world even mm-hmm. right so i think it's important to remember that we may be afraid we've never done it before what do we say how do we say it but if we can understand that the very same power that r- rose jesus from the dead resides in us right. it begins to hopefully change how we engage yeah, that's good. Sure. And you know, and and let me. This might be a good opportunity for a plug on the Pursue God resources because some people might be listening to this podcast. Maybe you're you found us on Spotify or on or on iTunes, but you don't really know the Pursue God resources. You know, Pursue God was built almost ten years ago with the desire, with the goal of empowering people to have conversations. People who who want to be obedient to the Great Commission. What we're talking about here, they want to go, but they wouldn't. They just don't really know how to go. I, we, one of one of the revelations we had a few years back is that our job as pastors was to equip people to go, instead of just equipping people to to invite their friends to church to hear us. You know, pr- sermons aren't enough. Hearing a sermon at church isn't enough. The people in your world need you. 
They need you to walk with them, to answer their questions. Just just on this last Sunday, I had a young a young man come up to me after the sermon, and he was... I, I wish everyone was like that. I wish every, every seeker was like this. He comes from an LDS background, and he said... I, you know, I'm I'm atheist, but I'm interested. I'm mm-hmm. in. I want to know more about God. I want to understand. Mm-hmm. And and he said, "How do I? Where would I? What would you recommend that I do? Where could I start?" And I began to give him some resources. Um, and he said, "Is there someone that could help me with this? Mm-hmm. Is there someone that can walk with me through this?" Which is, I love that question because this is what we build. This is what our church is built to do. And I think every church should be built to do is to get him connected to someone who can walk with him in everyday life, answering. He had he had a whole list of questions, and I said we have topics to answer all of those on pursuegod.org. But I don't think it's enough for him to just go to pursuegod.org or even go to the Bible or go wherever and just get his questions answered. I, I think that God designed it to work differently than that. He designed it to work where a believer, a disciple maker, will walk alongside a guy like that. And and do life with him, answer questions with uh, alongside in his pursuit of God, and then eventually invite invite him to Jesus. Yeah, and that to me that's a great illustration of what Jesus said in Acts twenty: "As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you." Mm. So as the fa- how did the Father send the Son? He sent him outside of the glory of heaven, outside of his own neighborhood, you know, his comfortable place where he was, you know, ruling forever. He sent him into a broken world. He sent him into our world. Um, and so it, God didn't just send information. Yeah. He didn't just send him Oof. a website or a book. He sent a person into our world. That'll preach. So to go out of our world into the world, uh, uh, you know, uh, his own world into ours. And so as the Father sent me, Jesus says, I'm sending you the same way. I'm sending you into the broken world. I'm sending you outside of your comfort world and your zone. And to, I'm sending you into the lives of other people to incarnate yourself in their lives. So it's not just about a website or a book. It's mm. really a person. That's mm. what God wants to use. Yeah, that's right. It's a relationship. It's, and that's one of the things we've really tried to emphasize in our, at our campuses. Yeah, we've got these resources. It's not about the, it was never about the resources. It's about the personal touch. Right, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus preaches these great sermons, and then he looks at the crowd and he has compassion on them. Mm-hmm. It says that his heart was almost like his heart was broken for them, even after they heard this great message. Mm-hmm. And he'd healed probably half of them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And yet, it pro- maybe some of them he had fed, you know, maybe they were part of the 5,000 that he had fed earlier in his ministry, and yet he's, he had compassion on them. And the reason he had compassion on them is because he knew sermons weren't enough for them. Mm-hmm. He knew that they didn't just need a message to a crowd. And he, he said, they, they're sheep without a shepherd. They're lost and confused. They're sheep without a shepherd. So Jesus knew the answer was personal. Mm-hmm. And then in the next chapter, in Matthew 10, he sends out his disciples two by two to start doing the disciple making. And, and of course, that's what we're also called to do, is yeah. to make disciples to, just as Jesus left heaven to enter into our world, we need to leave our comfortable churches on Sunday morning and mm-hmm. and prayerfully and get, enter into the world of the people at work, at school, even in our homes, and engage with them and and help them walk with Jesus. Yeah, and I would say, I mean, maybe this is to end. I would say, let us not forget the greatest mission that Jesus came for, right, which was to give his life for us and for our sins so that one day we could be in the presence of God again. And I think that is really important to know. I yeah. mean, it starts with that mission and it ends with that mission that Jesus died for you and for me. And then our response to that is to then 
engage in the mission, right. <laughs> which is to give that love and care to as many people as we can in this world. Yeah, and if you need some help with that, if you want some resources to help you do that, check out PursueGod.org and click on the About page. It explains how to use those tools to start discipling in your small group, in your family, or just in, in your world one-on-one. And so we encourage you to check out those resources. And if you want to check out more on the Trinity, now that we finished up the Trinity with today's episode, uh, check out PursueGod.org forward slash Trinity. There's all kinds of resources there that you can use as you continue to study this. And then, guys, next week we're going to talk about First Peter. We're starting a series on First Peter. We're going through the book. We're going to talk about culture wars and how there's this clash of cultures. So make sure to join us next week as we study together First Peter. God bless. We'll see you next week.